Hey church, welcome. It's an online worship service. This weekend is Palm Sunday. It is the beginning of Holy Week. You're going to hear a little bit later about all the things that we're doing for Holy Week. And our message comes from the Holy Week narrative. I want to encourage and exhort you just a little bit. I feel like sometimes we, having the benefit of 2,000 years of history, of reading the story, of knowing the story, knowing how the story ends, we approach the Holy Week narrative with a little bit of smugness, if I may be so bold, because we know how it's going. So we look at the characters in the story. They're hailing him one minute. They're giving him up for crucifixion the next. Everybody's confused. And we think to ourselves, well, I wouldn't do that. And we probably would. Let's be honest. Let's strip ourselves of knowing the story and allow Jesus to surprise us this week, just like he did his disciples, his followers, the masses. Jesus knew what was going on on and the people didn't quite have it figured out yet. Let us assume that posture of awe and wonder as we let Jesus tell us his story again this holy week. Let's sing. Here we go. You hold the reins on the sun and the moon like horses driven by kings. Cover the mountains, the valleys below With the breadth of your mighty wings All treasures of wisdom and things to be known Are hidden inside of your head And in this fortunate turn of events You've asked me to be your friend
a new song. It's called My Testimony. Goes like this. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover. But the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. I believe in signs and wonders. I have resurrection power. The sons and daughters, bought with blood and washed in water, sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. Yes, our God will finish what He started. This is my testimony.
Well, hello, ABF Online family. It is great to see you. My name is Josh. have a couple of announcements. But first, I wanted to let you know that I might not be doing announcements up here for the next couple of weeks because uh, hopefully little baby girl is going to be here and I'm going to be off for a couple of weeks. We're actually just at the doctor today. This is Thursday and everything's looking great. And just wanted to let you know that there's hopefully going to be a little baby here just in the next few weeks. So we're super excited. Uh, be praying for us. We would love your prayers. Just wanted to give you a quick update before we get into some announcements. Uh, first of all, if there's anything that we could be praying for you for this week, we would genuinely love to pray for you. Please bust out your phone right now and text any prayer requests over to 97,000. Hey, so there's a couple of things going on in the future that we would just love to get on your calendar so you know what's going on coming up. First of all, we have the ladies' garden tea. It's going to be outside in the courtyard here at the church on Saturday, May 1st at 11 o'clock. You can already register for that online. That would be awesome. And I know Adrian is also looking for some other hostesses to hostess the tables. That sounds delicious. Hostess. Anyways, uh, am I the only one that likes Hostess, like sweet, sweet uh, Swiss cake rolls? Oh, so good. Anyways, another sweet event to put on your calendars is Camp ABF. It's coming up this summer, June 21st through the 25th. Registration again for that is already live. You can go ahead and get registered for that online. Gentlemen and ladies, our golf tournament is scheduled for Monday, July 12th, and registration is open for that. So put all those things on your calendar uh, and get ready for an awesome upcoming schedule. We're really excited to see you guys out for some stuff. Thank you so much for your continued giving. Uh, you can give online or send any checks in the mail. And lastly, wanted to talk a little bit about Easter. Easter is coming up this upcoming weekend. It is going to be an awesome, awesome time. Easter weekend with our Good Friday service at 7 o'clock on Friday and our three Easter morning services at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 are some of our most impactful um, some are just our best services that we have in the life of our church throughout the course of the year. And so we are really hoping to see a whole lot of people back on campus. We're just really viewing it as an awesome time to re-engage kind of that marker of getting back involved and on campus. Uh, again, if you have health conditions, haven't been vaccinated, please don't feel any rush. Um, but if you don't fall into those categories, we would love to have you back at church. Uh, we came up with a very informative and very serious informational video um, that you can also share as a tool to invite some friends because Easter's a great time and to invite people to church as well. And we wanted to show you this very, very serious video. Please take a look. Risen. Yes, he has. It's Easter. What's up, man? How, man, I miss you. Yeah. 
Hey, what's up everybody? Hey. Josh and Chris. We are so excited to have everybody back on campus Very for excited. Easter. It's gonna be awesome. I know that we had a lot of fun with the mm -hmm. sticker system video. Uh, I'm actually gonna be in pain for a little bit. Good. Tommy can hit, good job, Tom. Uh, we had some fun, but honestly, the sticker system over the last couple weeks here at church has been awesome. It's such an easy, tangible way for us to be on each other and love each other well here on campus. Absolutely, and with that being said, uh, if you have health conditions and you have not been vaccinated yet, please don't feel any rush to come back to church. Uh, but we're so excited to see many of you who have not been back on our campus, and uh, we promise that we won't tickle you. Do I have to promise that? I mean, I'm not making any promises. You should I promise. Yeah. I'll promise. I promise. Yeah, I probably shouldn't. All right. Well, hey, we love you guys. We're love so you. excited. Miss you. Happy Easter. See you soon. Well, thank you, Josh, and thank you, uh, worship team. Uh, so good to be together. Fun to see this highlight video, the things uh, I let these guys get away with. Uh, but really, I think it'll be a, a fun resource or tool to maybe pass on to somebody with an with a invite that's maybe a little bit more on the light side. Well, we're looking forward here now to getting into God's Word. And as you know, we're just trucking our way through John, the book of John, and we're now in chapter 19. And as excited as I am uh, to get to Easter, uh, unfortunately, really prior to Easter, you have to go through the story of the crucifixion. Normally, when I'm working through a text, you've probably noticed I'll pick one big idea and then really all the different sub uh, parts of the sermon point to that big idea. Really, as I was studying this week's text, as I'm just going over it, I didn't really sense that that's how it worked this week, but I did gleam the idea that there is one running theme is that we have a God that must be crazy about us to demonstrate his love in such a dramatic way as we're going to see in the text. I hope that by going through this kind of verse by verse and line by line, at least through a major section of it, that it's a reminder for us of that extreme love. And it stirs up a gratitude going into Easter week, gratitude for what was done for us and the immense cost uh, that our Savior went through on our behalf. So I'm looking forward to studying this, but I wouldn't say it's one of the, the lighter passages that we've been through by any means. Let me pray, though, before we do that. Lord Jesus, we just turn this time over to you now, and we ask your Spirit to move and work, and maybe this might not be a, a normal sermon with a nice, clean four points, but we do believe uh, it's a wonderful reminder of your amazing love for us that was demonstrated in a way that's never been done before and never has been done since on a cruel Roman cross. We ask now that you'd allow us to put the distractions of our week on the shelf and we'd really be able to uh, enter in and see what you have for us in this text. We're thankful for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, just a, a reminder of where we're at in the story. Last week, it was Jesus standing before Pilate and Pilate kept on coming to the conclusion that there's finding really no guilt with Jesus, but because of the fact that he was graded on his ability to keep peace in the region, he's trying to think through creative ways to kind of uh, diffuse the situation, if you will. What we saw last week, his suggestion, his first attempt to kind of diffuse the uh, tense situation, his first attempt was to propose a solution of maybe a trade, if you will. They could either have Jesus set free 
on the one, uh, as one option, or the other option, if you remember, a gentleman by the name of Barabbas, who was a known murderer and criminal, he thought for sure they were going to choose to release Jesus. That made all kinds of logical sense, but the crowd wasn't operating with logic at this point. So instead of that, they make the decision to release Barabbas. Give us Barabbas, they screamed. Now, Pilate, still trying to be creative and thinking through how he can bring down the, the tensions here, he tries to appease the Jews by brutally beating Jesus, hoping that something, hoping that that will satisfy their bloodlust, blood maybe evoking some kind of compassion for him on the other side of it. We're going to start in chapter 19 and verse 1 to hear the account. It says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, hail king of the Jews and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns in the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. We'll stop there for some explanation. It would be real easy in reading through this account to miss the very first, the simple sentence that says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Unless you do a little bit of research, you don't understand what that actually entailed. You see, it was a, a miserable experience for anyone. It was where they used a whip that was known as the scorpion, where it had bits of metal and glass at the end of each strand so that it would rip the flesh from the back of its victim. And upon whipping someone, it was even known to uh, where, where ribs would be thrown in the air from the pulling back from this whip. It was an unbelievably terrible experience. Imagine this. So some of you have seen the passion of the Christ, what that would have done to the human body. A lot of times, it would have, uh, someone wouldn't even survive that gruesome of a beating. It was intended to be a, a gruesome example that kind of kept really all of Roman subjects in line. Any of them that were considering any degree of disobedience when they saw this horrific of consequence, man, it was a, a warning for any onlooker. It was also intended to speed up the process of crucifixion. Because if you survived this, you weren't going to survive very long on a cross to follow. Then after that traumatic beating, we're told here in the text that they, that they had the opportunity where the soldiers made sport by mocking him. Sometimes you read this and you're like, why would they do that? But you think about it. This was a, a fortress where this was taking place that housed over a thousand hardened, hardened, godless soldiers 
that were used to seeing suffering and they really were void of any compassion. So they, had, they were handed over a, a prisoner and they just made a joke out of it. This one, they had especially a fun time because of his claims of being king. So what does it tell us that they do to him? The first thing that it mentions is that they took a crown of thorns. In this last week, I was reminded of seeing this here on the church campus we had in the basement in our storage. It's actually a crown that's an example, most likely, of what was used. And I were just looking at this with the, the folks here on stage prior to this, what that experience must have been like, seeing the, the details of this. Imagine one of those thorns being forced into your skull. That was the experience that our Savior went through on our behalf, a crown of thorns. The mocking continued on his beaten back where they placed a, a robe, a purple robe, as you would probably know from any degree of study in scripture, that purple represented something that, that a king would wear, something that somebody that was elevated, it was a precious color or precious material that because of its dye, in this, they were going all out to make sure he was humiliated as much as possible. They also tell us, and I was noticing it more this week than, than usual, is that it says that they struck him with their hands. Now, I'm thinking that these hardened Roman soldiers could pack a pretty serious punch. I don't know if you've ever been punched at some point in your life or had the impact of someone's fist. Uh, I'm glad that you're saying no uh, in re, uh, response to that. But man, even in my, my younger years in high school, taking a punch was brutal. Like I remember for days that would hurt. Now imagine grown, solid, large men continuing to punch you just multiple times. I mean, this wasn't a little deal. I sometimes play wrestle around with my son, Chase, who's uh, 16 years old, and I obviously don't uh, punch him. We'll just play punch him. But I have even said to him before, I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to get punched in the face by me. You know, like I that would be miserable. Like that size of a person making impact in here, our Savior, because of his extreme love, is taking this kind of abuse. Whipped, thorns in the head, now punching him in the face. Man, unbelievable what's become of Jesus. In this, though, they mock him and they say, Hail, King of the Jews. Basically, it's like, Hail is like saying, Welcome, King of the Jews. After that, after he's been through this unbelievable degree of physical abuse, Pilate then parades him out and he says, behold the man. Interesting his word usage there. In other words, he's saying he bleeds just like you. He's merely a man. He's hoping that he again presents to him. He doesn't see them as guilty, which is kind of messed up that he's sent this man that's not guilty through this degree of torment, but he's hoping that they will respond with some level of compassion. When they don't, when they call out for to continue to crucify and move forward with the process, when they cry out for that, he says, take him yourself and crucify him. As a servant nation, he knew they had no authority to do that though. So in verse seven, I think it would be easy to miss this. Verse seven, the crowd identifies the reason in which they believe he should be executed. Do you see it there in the text? Verse seven, they explained the justification for having him killed. 
The law demanded the death of anyone claiming deity. You see that all the way back in Leviticus 24, 16. It's outlined, it's clear as day, the consequence for that level of claim if it's not accurate. You see, Jesus was actually truly guilty of that. Even in our study of the book of John, John 5, 18, he talks about being one with God, John 8, 53, John 10, 36. So the claims that they were making about him claiming to be uh, God in the flesh are accurate. So they are accurate in that. And here's the, the problem so often that we run into is that religious folks using the, the Bible as binoculars rather than a mirror. I heard that said this last week by a pastor named Mark Driscoll. I think that's where we get into ourselves into trouble when we, we know scripture, but we don't know Jesus himself. That's where these men are at. It's a, a tool that so often we can get confused about its intention. So here they call out and demand for his execution. We'll see how Pilate responds in verse eight. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you, you has the greater sin. We'll stop there. You hear that at first, that it says, Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. Why do you think it is that he was afraid? The reality is here, telling a, a superstitious governor, Jesus' claims of being the son of God left him a little bit cautious. You see, their belief system was in having many different gods and all of them having the potential to come down from Mount Olympus and be among men. So he was uh, kind of walking on thin ice here. He's looking at this battered and bruised man before him and wondering to himself, could this be a God from above? Could this be? That's why his question is, uh, the, the first question he asks them is, where are you from? To amplify things a little bit more, why he'd be cautious. We see in the account in Matthew chapter 27 that Pilate's wife, had warned him, said, I had, a, I had a dream last night that you were to avoid anything with this righteous man. So he's having a couple different things that are causing him to be a bit gun shy, if you will. But he tries his, his best to kind of power up on Jesus, asking him, you notice what it says there. At first, Jesus doesn't reply to his question. And then uh, Pilate, and it's gotta sound so comical, to God Almighty, Pilate basically tries to pull out his resume. He says, listen, do you, do you know who I am? Do you know the authority I have? I can set you free or I can take your life. I find it interesting, two different times so far in this account that we've had over the last two weeks, we see an amazing demonstration of God's power. The first one, do you remember it from last week when he says, I am, what happens to the soldiers? Hundreds of soldiers knocked on their butts. Here, the demonstration of power, I would suggest, 
is found in restraint. It's found in restraint. Jesus, instead of demonstrating his ability to take down this leader, instead responds with the words, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. You see, it's a great reminder for us with all of our silly earthly positions we hold so dearly and we find such value in. In God's uh, kingdom, he looks down and reminds us, I'm the one that places you and I'm the one that can remove you. You have no authority, anything other than what I've given you. So don't allow it to go to your head. So basically, Pilate is judging the judge of the universe. Sometimes when you think about this, this account of Pilate, you're like, man, who does he, he think he, who does he think he is questioning the God of the universe, judging him? Thinking about that this week and a little bit of conviction set in because really, if you think about it, anytime we're frustrated with God, with our circumstances, not feeling like something was fair or had gone the way it should have gone, aren't we to some degree judging the judge of the universe? Isn't that the exact same action? Whenever we still do this, where we decide we think we know what's better, we think our circumstances are, 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 shouldn't have gone the way that they went, even though they had to run through the filter of him before they arrived to us. So for us, not to get too high and mighty when we're looking at this account, but Jesus points out in the end of this statement there, he says, therefore, whoever delivered me over to you has the greater sin. There's some question mark of what this actually meant. The first thing that seems to be most logical is the idea that, that Pilate most likely is seen as doing his job. If someone was to oppose the government or to go against him, he's filling out, fulfilling his role as governor. But he says that those who have done turned me against, uh, turned me over to you have the greater sin. And we don't know if the one that he's referring to is either just Judas himself or the religious leaders. Either way, they knew better. They had been exposed to all of his teaching. They had been exposed to his miracles. They had been exposed to, to God's word. They are the ones that were being held here accountable to at, at a higher regard. Continuing the text to see how it plays out. It says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. So he's convinced. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. So the Friday before, it was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. We'll pause there. You see what's happened. Really, it's fascinating to me because in the, in the different gospel accounts, seven different times, Pilate refers to Jesus as being innocent, being innocent. And he says, we're told also here that he sought to release him, but the Jews successfully backed him into a corner that he didn't see a possible way out of it. 
Do you see what they did to him? Do you see what they caused him to do? They pushed him to decide between two kingdoms. They had to, he had to decide between the kingdom that Jesus was going to be leading or the kingdom that Caesar was currently leading. Caesar doesn't tolerate competition and our God doesn't tolerate competition. This was a bit of an impasse that he couldn't just sneak his way through. He had to make a choice. He had to decide who his king would be. Find that interesting because really, present day, when you think about your life, when you break it down in a nutshell, it really comes down to that exact same decision. Who are you going to decide is your king? Who are you going to submit to their leadership? You see, unfortunately, a lot of people try their best to live for the moment, enjoy the good life. Sometimes by rejecting Jesus as king, you can have immediate things going a whole lot better. You can experience things in this lifetime that are maybe more pleasant or pleasurable. But in the long term, here's the problem. It's always short-term thinking when you give your life over to the kingdoms of this world. You know why? Because they're temporary. That's what Pilate didn't understand. He made a short-term decision. We call it circumstantial ethics. Basically, he's wrestling through. How do I keep the riot down? How do I keep my advancement options in Rome uh, continuing moving forward? What can I do? He's trying to think through the one solution. He didn't have an issue with Jesus, but didn't, wasn't committed to truth enough to not jeopardize his career. He instead, history tells us that he moved on from there that he actually moved ahead and advanced in his career. One thing when I was studying a little bit of Pilate's life, what I found was interesting was how his career ultimately ended. He was eventually brought to his superiors with complaints about him executing men without a fair trial. Isn't that interesting? And in response to that, rather than going and standing and facing judgment and justice, he ended up taking his own life. Fascinating that that's the way Pilate's story unfolded when he thought he was making a decision to protect his life. Ultimately, he ended up losing his life. It wasn't just a crossroads for deciding the king for Pilate himself. We see here in the text, the other group that it's a crossroads for. Who is it? It's the Jews, the religious leaders. It was one more opportunity. You see, Pilate brings them before and he says, even though he may have been mocking them, he says, this is your king. Will you take your king? This was one more crossroads where they could have embraced Jesus for their own. But instead, I find it fascinating what their statement was in the heat of this crowd. We have no king but Caesar. Wow. Are you sure you want to make that statement? The, the kingdom that they uh, supposedly hated and opposed, they were willing to take that kingdom rather than the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. It was a crossroads and it was a decision that was made. Very powerful statement, basically a, a national rejection. In these moments, Pilate and the Jewish leaders, they're thinking about what's best for themselves what would protect themselves while Jesus, if you think about it, 
is thinking about what's best for them. What kind of love is that? In the middle of being demanded his death, Jesus is executing a plan for their rescue, for any who will believe. That's how, that's how Pilate is finally broken down. So eventually Pilate suppresses his conscience and finally concedes, you see there, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified, even knowing full well that he was innocent all along. See how the story progresses. So, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with two others, one on either side the, and Jesus between them, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription for the, in the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. Find it interesting, written to all people. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see, who, uh, see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. We'll stop there for really the, we'll cover a couple more verses, but we won't get through the entire chapter. But the, the big idea here is you start to realize what's transpiring is this is part of a bigger plan. I've noticed the longer that I live is kind of different groups of people and how they approach life. I notice some people that really love to have a, a plan in place. They like to execute things. They, they start their day. They've got their checklist. They've got the different things they want to accomplish. Then you have other people that are a little bit more of kind of wherever the day takes me, I'm okay with that. I don't know. What would you guys describe yourself as? You're a planner, planner, planner. Are you a planner? Yeah, we pretty much have a bunch of planners up here. They plan to be here and sit with us tonight. And uh, you think about that. That's one group. The other group that's a little bit more, hey, wherever the day takes us. Then there's a unique group that every once in a while you cross paths with. Somebody that appears to be living kind of in the moment, kind of doing whatever, wherever they, going wherever the day takes them. But the more you get to know them, the more you realize no, they're very perfectly executing a plan. They know what they're doing. They have, it's not, it's not clear at first, but the longer you're with them, you realize, wow, they meant to do that. It's kind of a fascinating person to cross paths with. I was thinking about this as it relates to Jesus. A lot of people would be confused. Um, a lot of people watching Jesus' life would assume that, man, his situation is spiraling out of control. Even the people that were told in the other accounts of scripture walking by, they would mock him and they'd say, oh, so you're gonna rebuild a temple in three days. Oh, it looks like you've kind of lost that ability now here on the cross. People made a lot of assumptions that he didn't have a plan, but John, as he writes this, he has 
the gift of being able to have hindsight. He has the benefit to be able to look back on how this transpired and realize that this was all part of something perfectly outlined, perfectly planned. In this second half of the chapter, a number of times it points out time and time again that this transpired so that scripture could be fulfilled. This transpired so that scripture could be fulfilled. Even random things like them casting lots over his clothes. The soldiers, these hardened Roman uh, soldiers, there's no way that they're conspirators, that they're making sure they're doing what was uh, described or, or foretold hundreds of years prior. But as you start to piece it all together, you realize that all of this was part of a plan. Other thing that's maybe a little bit confusing is because most of us, if we do any planning, we would never do any planning that would actually involve taking us from a position, a, a high position and bringing ourselves down to a low position. All of our plans are typically associated with Upward mobility, what's next? What's gonna improve my life? What's gonna move it forward? But Jesus on the opposite end of the spectrum here says, I'm coming down with the intent to die for these people. How crazy of a demonstration of love is that? Fully in control, fully able to stop this situation at any moment he chose, fully able to bail out but instead he was on a rescue mission to die in my place, to die in your place on our behalf. It's crazy to think about. It's thinking about that this week. You see so many people that were watching onlookers in the physical realm would have been completely confused watching this. It's thinking about even in the spiritual realm. I wonder if the celebration of the demons, man, they're seeing Jesus put to death in a horrible way on a cross. I imagine there was a lot of cheering, even potentially Satan himself, but they didn't realize, they didn't realize what was happening. The payment was being made for all of mankind. Anyone who embraces Jesus Christ, anyone who humbly bends a knee and calls out to him through simple faith, their life could be redirected, sins forgiven. They didn't realize this. It's kind of processing through this. And I wonder if that's maybe why Jesus never verbally outlined the gospel plan prior to the cross. It was always talked in, in kind of vague pictures and imagery, never really spelling it out. Now you get on the other side of it, you get to, uh, to Romans and you're like, oh, it's pretty clear there. You see, I wonder if, if he would have spelled it out, if that maybe would have redirected the plans of some, even in the spiritual realm. But instead, he let things run their course. Let the sin nature take over. Let the whole idea of, of broken politics run its course. Let the whole idea of broken religion run its course, exposing the frailty of mankind. How, what a broken mess we are. But here's the reality, and don't want us to miss out on this, is even though it was part of the plan, doesn't mean it was any less miserable for Jesus to go through. Little bit about crucifixion, if you're not familiar with it. Crucifixion was a painfully slow mode of killing somebody. Basically, death by asphyxiation. This idea that you could not get air into your lungs. 
And what they did, and you're probably aware of this, is they drove a nail or a stake through the, really the, the, the wrists and, the, and the, right at the top of the foot so that those are primary pain centers in your body. So that any effort to get any oxygen, you would have to use your strength and push on those pain centers for every single attempt at getting oxygen. That's the way in which our Savior died for us on that cruel, terrible Roman cross. Imagine that. Imagine the pain that God the Father must have gone through. Sometimes we think about all the excruciating pain that Jesus felt, but imagine God the Father watching his only begotten son suffer this. Imagine that. I can't having a, a son of my own. But he instead, they placed on the pay, the, his play, play card, King of the Jews. What Pilate meant as sarcasm was actually the reality. He was the king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews. He's still the option, the king for every single one of us. We have the choice to accept or reject. In verse 30, we're told how it plays out. It says, Jesus, in his final breaths, says he proclaimed, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished, if you're not aware of this, is the Greek it's basically, in the Greek, it's a victory shout. Basically, after someone had won a sporting event or had won a challenge or an attempt, that would be what they would proclaim in a loud voice. It's finished. I did it. Think about that. Would you do that unless this was part of the plan? Jesus victoriously accomplished victory over sin and death. We're also told there that he bowed his head and died. That's interesting. The idea of bowing your head has the idea of what you're choosing to do. We have to understand that they didn't take his life. He gave his life for the ransom of mankind. My hope is during this week leading up to Easter that this causes us to do some bit of reflection and remembering the unbelievable sacrifice that was made because he's crazy about you. He's crazy about me. His love is so extreme that he would fulfill this plan on a cruel Roman cross. I want to wrap up our service now just by taking a moment just to say thank you in the act of prayer. But I thought even before I pray, I wanted to just give an opportunity for you just in a moment of quiet to say thank you yourself. First, for the person that's been saved for years, and maybe it has gotten kind of callous to this story. You're like, oh, here we go. I've heard it a lot of times. Maybe for that person, it's a coming back and, and a reminder that you need to say thank you. The gratitude for the debt was that was paid on your behalf. For the other person that's maybe never embraced Jesus Christ, that's still Pilate in the story, kind of teetering on which kingdom to give their life to. Maybe this is the moment, even in this couple quiet seconds that you call out to Jesus for the very first time. I embrace you. I turn my life over to you. I embrace your finished work on the cross. Either way, I just want to be quiet for a moment before I pray and give you the opportunity, even in your homes as you're listening, to go ahead and take care of some business with Jesus.
Lord Jesus, we're grateful for this opportunity to reflect on what you've done for us. The abuse that you bore, first last week as we saw just mental abuse, the, the ridicule, the mocking, the having to stand before human courts and here now, the physical abuse. And then ultimately the separation from God the Father. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for what you've done for us. May we never forget that. May we never grow cold or numb to that reality. God, as we go into the week ahead, may that compel our worship like never before, even going into this last song. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.
All right, church family, thanks so much for being a part of this service as usual. Any way we can serve you this week, always feel the freedom to reach out. And just a reminder, as you're prayerfully considering re-engagement, we do have our Easter weekend services and our Good Friday service coming up. We'd love for you to consider being a part of that if you're able. God bless you. Have an amazing week.